And from the book of Matthew chapter 6, I invite you to follow along as we hear these words from our risen Lord and Savior. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. Whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. In preparing for this sermon, I've had an unanswerable question on my mind. I've been wondering about what sorts of phrases have I said the most in my life? In different seasons of my life, uh, the things that were most likely to come out of my mouth have changed. I'm a little bit past the season, thanks be to God. When the things that came out of my life most often were stuff like, um, we don't hit, stop that. Does anyone need to go to the potty? Now I find myself saying things a little more often that are things like, has everyone done their homework? Do you have everything you need, all your stuff? Tie your shoes. My kids will also tell you, they've gotten a little sick recently of hearing me say, all celebrity is fiction, which has become my standard response when the conversation turns to the personal lives of famous people, particularly Taylor Swift, or a politician, or a celebrity preacher. I'm sure they're all fine people. No shade at any of them. I just don't think we can actually know anything about their real lives. And so when the conversation gets going in my family, Elsa and Evelyn know already to preemptively roll their eyes before I say, look, all celebrity is fiction. There are some things that I have said over and over at every single stage of my life. Far and away, the number one, the most common has got to be, I love you. People who hear it from me daily have changed over time. But the, the frequency with which I say it probably has not. I must have said it nearly every day of my life to someone or several someones. Close second though, close second among the most often said things that come out of my mouth has got to be, well, we just read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. 
It was the first part of worship I ever memorized. I remember being a little kid and the first time that I could say it before I could even read, I had heard it so often. That was the part I knew how to participate with, right? I couldn't read the words to the songs. I couldn't, couldn't do these. And the Apostles' Creed was just a little lofty, but I could, I could, for whatever reason, I could remember that prayer and I could pray it. It was deep down in my muscle memory. We prayed it at, uh, at church and at school. And there's nothing better than knowing that there are others who are learning this prayer before they even know how to read or how to speak, that they are just swimming in it. What a gift that is. I learned how to pray that prayer, not only at church, but at school and at home. Nowadays, I pray it every single Sunday during worship, depending on where I'm preaching. I might pray it twice a day and or twice a Sunday in worship. We pray it every Thursday at the end of our staff meetings. I pray it every single morning when I pray uh, the, the daily office, scripture readings and prayers I pray for the day. I often pray it at night as well before I go to sleep. As we have a three-week sermon series about prayer ahead of us, I don't know of any better place to start than with this one that has become the foundation of my own prayers, that is the foundation of the prayers of all God's people, the one that perhaps we know so deeply that we don't even think about the tremendous power at work every time we offer it to God. It's not going to be the only prayer we look at for the rest of October. We're going to learn from the prayer lives of some famous people, some celebrities, and some less famous ones. Biblical heroes like Rhoda, who most of us have never heard of, and Abraham, who most of us have. We'll learn from some figures who are a little bit closer to our own day and time, like Susanna Wesley and Thomas Merton. And we are going to learn from some of the great prayers and great prayers of the Christian tradition and those who've gone before us. But today we are learning from Jesus himself. And the truth that I want to leave you with in today's sermon is really pretty simple. Everything is just a gloss on this. It is this, that tomorrow we want to pray better than we did today. And on Tuesday, we want to make Monday's prayers look like they were on training wheels. And Wednesday and Thursday and every single day of our lives, we want to pray better. Saturday comes around, what are we going to do? We're going to pray better then than we did today. And as simple as that sounds, it's a hard thing. It's an intimidating thing. It's hard to admit that it is possible to pray better. That's not a thing we want to admit because if we can pray better, that means we also have a fear. It means that we have a fear that we might be able to pray badly. And maybe we convince ourselves that there is such a, a thing as a bad prayer. And if we convince ourselves, then that kind of robs us of one of great, life's greatest comforts. Because one of the things that is always true, and I want you to hear me on this, is that prayer is the one communication where we don't have to worry about saying the wrong thing. That's just not how life is in the rest of our lives. In every human act, interaction, even with those whom we love most, in every single human interaction, there is that opportunity, that possibility of mi being misunderstood. We know that if we say the wrong thing or don't say it in quite the right way, we could end up hurting someone we love very, very much. We know that even if we say the right thing, if we don't do it with the right look on our face, or just that the person who hears it, having a bad day, could make us wish we'd never said anything at all. Even amongst those we love most, there's always that possibility that, that our own child, our spouse, our coworker, our friend, who truly understands us at any given time that they might not. And it's usually the words we think that get in the way. 
Oh, I didn't quite say that right. Oh, no, no, what I meant was, for most of us, if prayer holds any comfort at all, it is this. It's that it's the one place where we're pretty sure that can't happen. Where even if we get the words wrong, God knows our heart. It's the place where God gets us. It's the place where God gets us even when we ourselves don't really know what we're trying to say. We're trying to figure it out. Prayer is the place where we are known without striving and without anything to prove. And that is true. I can't help but think that that fear of the words that get in the way is why I have known people who have the most powerful and rich prayer lives among some of the greatest prayer warriors I've ever known, but who are terrified to pray in public. It's that fear that the words will get in the way. There might be the misunderstanding that someone won't quite get it, but when it's just us and God, we know we can't be misunderstood. There's no safety quite like it in the world. Knowing that our words can't be used against us whenever we speak to God. That's what Jesus tells us in the passage that we read today. He says that, Jesus, that God knows our needs before we even speak. And the scriptures remind us that when we pray, the Holy Spirit intercedes with us with groans too deep for words. There is no judgment in prayer. There is no possibility of failing. There is no way that the God who knows the hairs on your head could fail to know your heart. And when we pray, we should begin with that bedrock assurance that there is no misunderstanding, no misaccusation, no reason whatsoever to ever be ashamed of prayer. And yet, my experience is you do not have to talk to God very long in prayer. You do not have to have offered very many prayers before you find within yourself a desire to pray better richer, greater attention, something. Sometimes we don't even know what we need or what it is we want, but we know there must be something more. The disciples knew that. They came to Jesus and they said to him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And when Jesus heard his disciples say, Lord, teach us how to pray, he did not send them away and say, oh, just do whatever comes naturally. He didn't say, don't worry about it. There's no wrong way to pray. Even if that is true, and it is, Jesus gave them more. He heard that desire in their heart and he answered their plea. They wanted to pray better and Jesus showed them a way. In fact, throughout his ministry, Jesus gave lots of very practical advice, very pointed instructions about prayer. He said things like, don't pray for the sake of impressing others. We just heard that. He said, don't pile on lots of words saying the same thing in a dozen different ways to show you really mean it. A little bit later, he'll say, don't come to pray like a Pharisee who thanks God for making him better than his neighbor, but be like the tax collector who came admitting his own sinfulness. My experience is we still have trouble with that one. Can't tell you how many times I've been in some, some public setting when I've heard people say, God, we confess that we have sinned. We've done this and this and this. And, and most often when folks start saying that, what I hear is actually not that we have done this, but that some other folks over here have done that. And I'm really sorry to be associated with them. God, forgive those other Christians who are doing all those things in your name that I would never do. But Jesus warns, that we should not pile on our words, 
or treat our prayer as though it's a justification for why we are better than someone else. John Wesley once put it this way. He said, the purpose of prayer is not to inform God or even to move God who is always more ready to give than you are to ask. The purpose of prayer is to move ourselves so that you may be willing and ready to receive the good things God has prepared for you. Whether you say debts or trespasses, whether you say your will be done or thy will be done, whatever particular words you put around it, there is an eternal wisdom in this prayer that Jesus Christ has given us. Wisdom that can help us pray it more wholeheartedly with greater attention to what God is doing and offer better prayers when we use our own words or when we pray with no words at all. And I wonder when you pray, do you begin from the presumption that God is more ready to give than you are to ask? I think that is what Jesus offers us in this prayer. He is showing us a way to accept what God is already trying to give us. What God is already pouring out, but which we have held at arm's length. Because we thought we had to talk God into it. Because we thought we knew best. And the Lord's Prayer, God is inviting us to accept what God is already offering to each of us. I think there are three ways that the Lord's Prayer teaches us to accept what God is giving. The first is that receiving God's presence requires us to accept God's goodness. That's the invitation we find right at the beginning of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed meaning set apart, sanctified, holy. When we talk with God, it's not like our conversations with other people where we often find ourselves wondering, well, what are they not telling me? What are they trying to get out of this? What's the other side of the story? We hardly even know how to have a conversation with someone who has no ulterior motive. But God has promised that he will never use us as mere pawns to his own ulterior motive. God will work in us and with us and through us, but God will never misuse us. And accepting God's goodness means accepting that God already has our good at heart. It means that we accept that sometimes God knows what is best for us even better than we do. And it also means that when God's will is thwarted by the evil and the sin of the world, in those moments when God's will is not done on earth the way that it is in heaven, it, those moments we believe are only temporary. When we compare them with the eternal glory of the day when God will get everything God wants, Christ returns. Hallowing God's name means remembering that ultimately God, want, God wins and gets everything he's always wanted for us. Good prayer begins in accepting God's goodness. And second, God, Jesus shows us that the good prayer helps us to accept our own neediness. And that's not the sort of thing we usually think of as a gift. We don't usually think of it as a blessing to recognize that we are needy. Needy is not a thing that many of us try to be. In fact, we spend a good deal of our lives actively avoiding trying to be needy or need something from someone else. But if we pray like Jesus, we'll soon discover that we have been blocking God's goodness by holding on to our own and by using our own best efforts as a shield to try and justify ourselves. Too often we make prayer the cherry on top of our best efforts. 
Like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can. And then when I hit the limit of it, that's when I'll go to God in prayer. God, can you make up the difference? Can you get me from here to there? I got myself this far. Can you take me the rest of the way? But Jesus reminds us that true goodness comes from depending upon God and from realizing that even our daily bread is a gift. It is something on which we are entirely dependent on God. We don't want to admit that about ourselves, but if we could, it would be so much easier to trust God for all the other things that we need. Finally, Jesus reminds us that good prayer helps us accept not only God's goodness and our own neediness, but it also helps us to accept our neighbor, our neighbor as a gift, not just to tolerate our neighbor, not just to, to leave them to live and let live, but to receive our neighbor as if they are a blessing, as if they have a God-given purpose in our lives. I mean, isn't it wild that when Jesus teaches us how to pray in secret, when Jesus addresses our most personal prayers, when he says, shut the door and go into the closet, don't let anyone hear what you are saying. And yet Jesus also says that when you are there all by yourself, your prayers should be in the plural, not the singular. I mean, Jesus was not writing a liturgy for a worship service on Sunday morning. He said, go into your closet and don't pray my father, pray our father. Now forgive my sins. I give me my daily bread. From beginning to end, Jesus invites us to pray in the plural, we and us and our. He tells us that we cannot truly accept our own forgiveness until we are willing to grant forgiveness to others. And the Lord's Prayer reminds us that even when we pray alone, we are working together with all the other prayers in the world. We're all in this together. And in some way, we need our neighbor's prayers if we're even going to see our own answered. When we pray with great attention to God, we are invited to accept our neighbor and their need and their prayers as a part of the blessing as well, as something that has a God-given purpose in our own lives. And one of the things I cannot help but notice is that particularly as Matthew tells it in the gospel, one of the things that Jesus, all of the things that Jesus teaches us to pray are the very same things that Jesus learned by experience in the wilderness. Matthew's gospel, if you're not familiar, says that Jesus' ministry began like this. First things first, Jesus left home to go be baptized in the Jordan River. And then we're told he went into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted by the evil one, Matthew says. And then Jesus came back to Galilee and he started saying the kingdom of God is near. And then when people asked him, well, what does this kingdom of God look like? He sat down on a hill and began to preach to them and he taught them this prayer. And in this sermon, he told them to pray, lead us not into the time of trial, but deliver us from the evil one. When you're reading in the gospel of Matthew, it's, it's so obvious. It's just the next chapter. <laughs> Jesus prays. Deliver for deliverance from the evil one. And then in the next chapter, he's telling us to do the same thing. His prayer comes from experience. And that's why I say that everything we do is just so that we can pray better. 
all of our experience, all that we learn, all that we do, all that we experience in our lives, all of it is just an invitation to pray better, to bring it back to God in prayer. All our worship, all our service, all the good things that we do, all of them bring us back to prayer. Prayer is not something that we substitute for action, but it is our action. Prayer gives us strength to serve and witness and be present to our neighbor and the strength to give. I mean, think about the things we commit when we join the church, our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. There is a reason that the first one we mention is prayer. It's because all the other ones depend on it. Prayer is, we, is where we discover how our presence and our gifts and our service and our witness matter, even when we question them. If you go to worship and you don't feel fed, you take that to God in prayer. God was there. Why'd you miss him? You serve your neighbor. And it's not as satisfying as you hoped it would be. You take it to God in prayer and ask, what are you trying to teach me? Sometimes you pray and you pray and you pray for something. You're so sure it's God's will. And God shows up in a way you never expected. And it causes you to pray a little differently next time. In prayer, we are owning the limits of our own strength. And we are also owning the limitless power of God to do things beyond our imagining, the things we didn't even know to look for and still we, until we started acting and praying at the same time. And it was in the wilderness that Jesus learned that prayer is like daily bread. You remember the evil one came to him and said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus then taught us to pray as if our prayers are as necessary as anything that we eat to keep us going. It's prayer that's the food that keeps us on our feet when we're on this adventure for God. And one of the things I've learned about prayer is that it is as necessary and as diverse as the things that we eat as our daily bread. There are times when your prayer life will feel like a five course meal. When it's the sort of thing you sit down to and you enjoy every bit of it. And there will be times when it feels more like something you grabbed in the drive-through line. Not every meal is a feast, but they're all necessary. Prayers like that. It's the fuel we need when we have the time to just bathe in it, get lost in it, it's like the best meals we've ever shared. And when our prayers are offered in a hurry to get us through the next mile ahead of us, it's still giving us strength. It's still keeping us going. And if you are finding it harder and harder to pray, I hope that there is some comfort in that then maybe the best place to start isn't a mountaintop experience or some elaborate ritual that's going to get you in the right headspace. Maybe it's as easy as a prayer that has already been prayed over you. A prayer that is so deep in your soul, it's like muscle memory. It will not take you two minutes to offer this prayer to God. But if we offer it with attention and with intention, 
we will come to know the one who knows you better than you know yourself. And isn't it good to know that the goodness of God is as near as words that many of us already know by heart and that Jesus didn't only answer the disciples' plea once to help them pray better, but Jesus has been answering it ever since. And for as long as the church has been praying, Jesus has been hearing us call out and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And his answer has always been, yes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.